Welcome to On the Way with Tony Chris. Each weekday, Dr. Chris will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Chris. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is podcast number 54. Well, we have already begun our journey through the remainder of the book of Ephesians in chapter 5. And in verse 18, the Apostle Paul said that we are to understand what the will of the Lord is, and then he tells us what that is, to be controlled by the Spirit of God. Not to waste our lives on drunkenness and intoxication by worldly things, especially alcohol or that which controls our bodies. But he immediately goes into what the spirit-filled life is all about. And that is how it affects our personal relationship with God. And he talks about how in verse 19 that affects our praise and our worship of God. In 19, it affects our attitude, which should be one of gratitude. And remember, the opposite of gratitude is not ingratitude, it is entitlement. Because we will never give God the thanks and the praise and have an attitude of gratitude that we need to have toward Him if we feel like God owes us something, if we feel like we're entitled. And so God helps us to be grateful to Him. And then in verse 21, he says, submitting yourselves one to another. God wants us to get into our proper order. And you can listen to the last podcast and understand what hupotasso means. And that means get in your proper rank, get in your proper order. And just to remind you, as we jump from the personal into a relationship with our spouse and with our family and as a whole, we need to remember that the spirit-filled life has nothing to do with what the world thinks Hupotasso is. Because everything that God does, He does within the atmosphere of unconditional love. And when we are filled with the Spirit, we do the same thing and with an attitude of obedience. So after verse 21, we jump into what is called verse 22 in the Greek text. Remember, there were no chapter or verse divisions in the original text. It was a letter. And so immediately starts this thought that just goes right with the flow in diagramming this particular passage. He first speaks to the wives. And again, those who are filled with the Spirit of God, he says, you need to submit yourself. Now, the word submit is not in the Greek text, but it is a carryover of what he just said, because he said submitting yourselves one to another. And so the word submit is just supplied there. Wives, to your own husbands as unto the Lord. What do you mean to your own husbands? Submitting yourselves and understand the proper rank as far as the spirit-filled life and God's order of things. Cosmos is the word for order. Chaos is the word for disorder. And so if we're in the proper cosmos, that is in God's order, it is that God created man first, and that is the reason why he's given leadership. That's what Paul told Timothy. But also he said that man is given the headship role, not just because of creation order, but because man was not deceived, but the woman was deceived. You see, man sinned with his eyes wide open. The woman actually thought she was doing the right thing. 
That's what the Bible teaches. She was deceived. She followed her want to. She followed her emotions. But Adam knew the choice, and he made the choice to love Eve more than he loved God, to please Eve more than he did to please God. And that's been getting man into trouble ever since. And so that's why sin came into the world, not through Eve, but through man through Adam. And that's what Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 says. And so the curse comes through the man. Why? Because uh, it is through the man that we inherit our sin nature, because he was in a headship position. And that's, again, for another theological podcast. The scripture says, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church and is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And so the position of the wife is one of fellowship. And later in this very same chapter, Paul says the attitude in which she is to do that is reverential respect. And uh, we'll come back to that in just a moment. So the role assignment for the woman is a role of fellowship in the partnership and that uh, complementary role to the man and the man to the woman. The woman's role is that of fellowship, and she's to do that with an attitude of respect and reverence. The husband, according to verse 25, is to love the wife just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. And it talks about how that he is to love and he is to care for the wife. And so the responsibility of the man is headship. It's the role of leadership. And he is to do that in an atmosphere of unconditional love. Quite honestly, if men would fulfill their role of loving their wives unconditionally and granting them the place that they deserve, in most cases, it's much easier for the wife to follow uh, with reverential respect. And what I'm telling you, whether it's the role of the man of headship, leadership, whether it's the role of the woman and the spirit-filled fellowship, then it's going to take all of God in us, controlling us, in order to fulfill those assignments because they're supernatural. It's not in our nature. It's not in man's nature to lead. It's in his nature, his fallen nature, to please his wife. And it is in the nature of a woman to rule over her husband. That's what the book of Genesis says. That's what it says consistently and confluently throughout the word of God. And so over and over again, we have man trying to give his role and his assignment over to the woman and the woman trying to exercise lordship over the man. And this is done on both sides and we fall short. That's why we need the divine assistance of God or the filling of the Holy Spirit. And so as we go through these passages, uh, just take them for what they are. Don't try to place them in the framework of the culture. The culture will come and go, but the word of God will stand forever. And I know what I'm saying is not popular, but God didn't call me to be popular. God called me to tell the truth and to love people enough to tell the truth. And I do love you. And I'm so grateful that you're listening. And I hope you'll continue to. But whether you like this or not is totally beside the point. The more you are filled with the Spirit of God and with the Word of God, the more you will love God and the more you will love what He says. But it doesn't mean that what He says is easy to accomplish and cannot be accomplished in our own flesh. It has to be accomplished through the power of the indwelling and infilling of the Holy Spirit in our lives and coming under His control. And after He talks to the husband and wife, do you see where we're going here? The Spirit-filled life, first of all, 
uh, affects us personally. Then it affects the closest relationships that we have on earth besides a man to his God, to God Almighty, is to his spouse, and then to the children. By the way, that's always the order. It is dangerous for a person to love their children more than they love their spouse because, you see, children will come and go, and sometimes spouses do, but that's not God's intention. But when we build our lives around our children, we're headed for a heartache. When we build our lives around one another, we're headed for a heartache. But when we build our lives around God and His Word and in obedience to Him, then even when people come and go in our lives, we have a constancy of joy. And so he says, immediately, children, obey your parents. Now, this is God's pecking order. This is God's line of authority. It is always the father and the mother that's to be leading the children, not vice versa. Listen, a six-year-old or a 10-year-old or a 16-year-old and many times an 18-year-old don't know what they're doing. And you know that. All you have to do is look back and you can tell that yourself. But we give way too much authority to children to determine what they're going to eat when they're going to bed, what their routines are going to be, where they're going, where you're going on vacation, where you're not going on vacation, what your day is like. Listen, get up, uh, sir, get up, ma'am, and together find out what God wants you to do and do it. And as long as you're following the Lord and doing what you need to do, your children will be just fine. People say, well, I don't want to move my children around. That's going to hurt them. Well, it might. But what I've found out is that whether you're in the army or you're in the ministry or you're in a job that you travel around, it's not the instability of travel that hurts the children. It's the instability of the parents who hurt the children. And if the mom is always griping and the dad's always griping about having to move this, that, and the other and have an entitlement, ungrateful spirit, then the children are uh, likely to have the very same. And so children need to be under the authority of their parents and the parents need to make good decisions and not provoke their children to wrath. That's simply what the first four verses say. And I hope you can see this, that when you get any of these out of whack, whether it's the husband-wife relationship or whether it's the children-parent relationship, then there's chaos in the home, in the church, and in society. And then when you come to chapter 6 and verse 5, then the next uh, level of society is mentioned and the relationships that are outside of the home. And in this case, it's talking about bond slaves, those willing slaves that are serving, that have an opportunity to go free, but they don't want to go free. That's the difference between a bond slave and an ordinary slave. He says, bond servants. Be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart, as unto Christ. And so the closest thing we have to bond servants in our culture and society today is an employer-employee relationship. In other words, you don't have to work for that person, just like the bond slave had been freed by the master. He could have left, but he said, I want to willingly serve you because you've been good to me. And uh, again, that would uh, liken unto, in our culture, the best that we can, the closest that we can, although it's not exact, to the employer-employee relationship. And uh, then God speaks to the employer, to uh, that one who uh, was in authority over that employee or that uh, bond servant. 
And God speaks to both. He says to the employer, uh, the master, you need to treat with great respect and dignity those that are in your care, and you need to care for them. And then those who are working for someone, we need to do the very best job that we possibly can, not just because someone is standing over us with a whip or uh, with threats, but we need to do whatever we do as unto the Lord. And so that's what God wants us to do. Do a good job. Work for excellence. And if there is anything that I see that's lacking in the church of Jesus today, I'm not talking about courage and standing and witnessing and all those things. I'm talking about in just the way that we do things. It is hyperbole, translated hyperbole in our language, literally transliterated. But that means to go over and above. In the Greek New Testament, it's translated sometimes excellence. You see, God wants us to do whatever we do with excellence. So whether we eat or whether we drink, we need to do all to the glory of God, whatever it is. And so that would change our churches. That would change our homes. That would change our children. That would change our relationship with each other if we sought to do everything we do as unto the Lord. And so whether it's children obeying your parents, parents being good and godly parents uh, to the children, whether it's employer-employee relationship, or whether it is simply a man walking with God and being a good and loving husband and the wife being a wonderful, submissive wife. And let me say one last thing about this idea of submission. In most Christian marriages, very little submission takes place. If you're walking in the same direction and both of you love Jesus, it's rare that there's ever a submission. Why? Because submission is an impasse. See, there is no submission. There is no give and take unless you come to an an impasse. And that's not a fork in the road. That's a T. That's a dead end where you can go to the right or the left. And before Karen and I got married, we decided before God that the Bible taught I had the final decision. I would listen to what she has to say. I would uh, take into account what she had to say. I would look at the way that I believe God's leading me. But ultimately, I was responsible for that decision. And I found out most men don't want that decision. And uh, there have to be four to make it. And but with the wife, many times the wife, when it really comes down to it, she doesn't want to go the way that the man wants to uh, go and believes that it's the way to go. And in many cases, if it doesn't work out and that man's uh, considered, sometimes he goes her way, sometimes he goes his own way. But what I have seen in marriages and relationships is this. If it doesn't go right, the wife keeps good records and uh, she will uh, bring up to him over and over again how he should have listened to her and those kind of things. I think you know where I'm going with this. What it boils down to is this. Many, many arguments, debates, fusses, whatever you want to call them, and sometimes divorces in Christian marriages are over a lack of fulfilling the role of a loving husband and a submissive wife. And uh, sometimes the woman is right. Sometimes the man is right. But the man has the ultimate decision when there is an impasse. And rarely there is an impasse. For instance, if I get up on Sunday morning and say, well, let's get ready to go to church. And Karen says, uh, yeah, let's do that. That's not submission. That's compliance. She would want to go anyway without me one way or the other. But if I say we're going this way and she says, no, I don't want to go that, that's going to take divine intervention and the spirit filling her in order for her not to resent that she's having to do something that she really doesn't want to do. But if we do that in a loving way, then the odds are that many times the love and uh, uh, kindness will overshadow the um, reservations of the woman. 
So the spirit-filled life is not just some ethereal out there somewhere that doesn't affect our lives. No, it affects us right where we are. And my prayer is that the spirit-filled life will not only affect our worship and our praise in our private time, but in our personal relationships, starting with the most personal of all relationships on earth. And that's between a loving husband and a faithful wife. God bless you as you walk on the way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at tonycrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at tonycrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.